turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 to 10 we're going to cover this morning. I thought we were going to finish the chapter. We're not. It'll be uh, next week that we'll finish it, but we'll cover uh, 1 to 10 this morning. Let's open in prayer. Father, we pray, Lord, this morning that as we look uh, back into your word again as a church body, Lord, that you would continue to work these truths into our lives. Lord, that it would have an effect upon us, that it would change us from the inside out, that we would be people, Lord, that would uh, look back on our walk and, and just see the marvelous work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we don't want to be the same, Lord. We want to, we want to be ch- changed into your image. And Lord, we know that it's only by your spirit that that happens. It's only by a work of your hand. And Lord, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this morning's message, Godliness with Contentment. Those two words, I think, are important words for the Christian. Chapter 6 starts with Paul speaking to Timothy about the relationship that slaves should have with their masters. Now, Christianity, uh, back in the time of the writing of this letter, Christianity in the, the social setting was, slavery was, a, it was commonplace in the Roman Empire. I, I read that there was an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire during that time. Now, some of these slaves, though, they uh, were not always as we think of slaves. Some of them had privileged positions. And then there were others, as we might think when we think of slaves, they were treated and they were uh, mistreated and they were abused. But what's interesting about Paul and in the writings and Peter also is that we don't see either one of them really telling the Christian community to run away from slavery or to, uh, to, for the slaves to flee their masters. We don't see that in Scripture. What we see is people living in, an, in a social environment that, that really was never advocated by God nor the church, but the Christians there were living in that environment. And it was not always good. And there was a lot that went on, just like uh, people have experienced all through, really, history in regards to slavery. Paul's not here approving of slavery either. That's important to know. He's not, it's not his approval. He's not saying that I'm in agreement with this institution of slavery that went on. Paul, though, is going to use this picture and I believe that it's, it was in a very uh, practical way because I think this was happening in his day, but I believe there, there is practical application for us today out of that. When we think of a servant and we think of a master, how does that apply to us as Christians? So let's look at our Bibles at verse 1. Paul writes, he's writing to Timothy, he's giving Timothy further instructions that are important for him as he has got the oversight of these various churches in Ephesus. He says, let as many bondservants 
as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. And then he tells us why. He says, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And then he tells Timothy, Timothy, teach and exhort these things. And so that's our opening verse. Uh, That same principle of being under a yoke can have another application to us, even this morning. And how many of you work outside of the home? Raise your hand. Okay, and, and how many of you are an employee? Raise your hand. Do we have any uh, masters here? Do we have any employers? Okay, we're all employees here. And so here we have a practical application that we can draw and take away from this. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, he says, bondservants, he says, obey in all things your masters. And he says, according to the flesh. He says, but don't do it with eye service. You know what eye service is, don't you? You know, just, you know, trying to, you know, make points with the, you know, don't, don't do it out of eye service. Don't do it as a man pleaser. You see, when you go to work, uh, you know, yes, we want to please the person that we're working for, but ultimately, who are we looking to please in our life? We're looking to please God. I want to be the best employee, that kind of an employee that would bring glory to God. And so I'm not there with eye service as a man pleaser, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And, I, and, and we, we thank God. God, thank you for my job. And thank you for my boss that's not always easy to work with. And thank you for placing me there in that position that you've put me into, that I might bring glory to you with my life as a Christian. He says, he goes on to say, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. In other words, God should be your priority when it comes to you submitting yourself at the workplace to those that are above you. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. He's really your master. He's really the one. And that kind of takes the edge off a little bit, doesn't it? When you have that employer, it's really difficult. And he's really hard on his employees. It takes the edge off a little bit when you know, you know what? I'm really doing this under the Lord. And and when I do it under the Lord, it's easier to get on with things that take place in the workplace. But he goes on to say, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. That goes both ways. You see, there's Christian employers and employees. And they both, and with God, there's no partiality. He doesn't look at the boss in a greater way than the employee. That's the way man does it. That's the way the employer, you know, you're just an employee here. God sees them both the same. <coughs> Excuse me. Just a different role. Now this word bond servant that's used 
eight times in the New Testament. And the word bond servants, plural, which is also used nine times in the New Testament, is the Greek word doulos. It's important sometimes to look at Greek words, to have an understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about a bond servant. Now, a bond servant or a bondman was a man or a woman, a bond woman, a bond man was a man or a woman who gives himself up to another's will. That's what you do in a sense when you go to work. You're giving yourself up to the will of that employer that is asking you to do your job and to do it in a specific way. This word bondman or bond servant, we might say it's a slave by choice. That's really what it's speaking of, a slave by choice. I'm choosing to be in this position as a slave. You see, Christians by their very nature are called to be servants. God calls us all to be servants, to be slaves of Christ. It's our calling upon each of our lives. And we don't typically have a problem with that because we know he's the best master. He's my Lord. And I'm, and I'm willing, well, sometimes we have a problem with it because we don't do it. We don't submit ourselves to our master. But we're all called to be slaves of Christ and really slaves by choice. Nobody makes you or made you become a Christian. And no one makes you, God doesn't even make you follow him. We choose to do that. We choose to submit ourselves to his will in our lives. Paul saw the relationship of a slave to his master and the master to his slave as something that God could be glorified in. He saw that this earthly relationship could bring glory to God and how we conduct ourselves, how the slave was to his master and the master to his slave. You see, it's all about a witness, isn't it? It's about people who know that you're a Christian at work. People that you come in contact and it finally comes out. It should come out from day one. People start saying, man, I'm a Christian now. But sometimes they don't know for a while. But when it comes out, know this. You're under the spotlight. People are looking. The boss is even watching in a different manner. Oh, (laughs) yep, Christian, all right. Yeah, they got a standard that they say they hold. They have one that they look to. And and, and in a sense, they might even put the pressure to you a little bit more. Oh, Christian. And we have this opportunity to either be a poor witness for Christ or a good witness for Christ. And many of us maybe have found ourselves being a poor witness at times, even apologizing to co-workers. But even in that, it can bring glory to God. Would you forgive me how I respond? Would you, you know, and even that can glorify God. Because you know what? We're imperfect people. And though you're under the spotlight by the other fellow employees and the the boss, so to speak, you're under the spotlight, you're not going to do it perfectly. But there should be something that separates a Christian in the workplace from those that are not. 
because we have a higher calling. And we have one, uh, one that gives us the ability not to be always the one complaining with the rest, not to be the one that has always has something negative to say about the company. And, and, you know, and it goes on and on. You see, we're not called to gossip in church. We're not called to gossip at work either. You know, when we're out of church, you know, we can gossip there. We shouldn't do it there either. Paul never instructed the church or Christians to rise against the institution of slavery. He never, he never gave that. He never told them to run away, to rebel against their masters, which tells me that as Christians, we have a real opportunity. I, I really believe it's Christianity, really, that ended slavery. It's Christianity, it's Christians that were at the backbone of that. It's the church that should have been the place that people came to where slavery in the bad sense was non-existent. That relationship of a master to a slave under Christianity was totally different. It was one of, quite often, of honor and respect between the slave and the master. It wasn't an uncommon thing for a slave to have a place in the leadership within a church. Here's a slave that has a position of leadership and the slave's master is having to submit himself to his own slave in the church setting. And so the church the place in which slavery was to be broken down. Something that was doing, that's the purpose of the church. Not the, the only purpose, but the purpose within the church. Paul wrote a letter to a man by the name of Philemon. And it's in your New Testament. And he asked Philemon to forgive his runaway slave, Onesimus. Onesimus had run away from his master. And he found himself with the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul led Onesimus to the Lord. And so Paul feels the need to sit down and pin out a letter and write a letter back to Philemon and ask Philemon to receive Onesimus back. He's now a brother in Christ. He's now, would you receive him back? That's the difference between Christianity being involved when it comes to this issue of slavery. And Paul is telling Onesimus, you need to go back to your master. You need to return. You need to go back and make it right. And I'll even get involved and make it right. I'll even repay him Myself, if I need to. I want that relationship between you and your master to be restored. The church today should never be a place where skin color, the class, the status, there should never be a distinction within the body of Christ, period. As a matter of fact, if there ever is in any church with any pastor, any leader, 
any distinction between those things, I personally would question whether or not they are a true church or whether or not they are a true believer, based on that alone. It's not to happen within the body of Christ. This whole thing of segregation, I, I, I would say that it sickens our Lord to see any church that would be like that. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. That's the way God sees it. That's the way we should see it as Christians. Paul called himself a bondservant. He called Timothy, his son in the faith, a bondservant. James also referred to himself as a bondservant, a slave by choice. Peter did the same. Jude did the same. They were all bondservants by choice. And you know what? That's the highest calling. That's the highest calling for any of us as Christians. That I would be a slave for Christ. That I would be willing to give all of myself to my master. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's my owner. He's my ruler. Paul goes on in verse 2. Look at your Bibles. And he gives instructions to those slaves who had believing masters. He says, and those, speaking of the slaves, who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them, or we might say, but rather work harder for them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Very simple. These slaves who had believing masters. Now, upon this principle, Christian slaves with Christian masters, Paul is saying they're not free to despise their masters. You know, when they come and they tell them, I want you to do this task, and I want you to work hard at this, and I want you to do this, that they shouldn't take on the mindset, hey, we're brothers in Christ. I mean, don't, don't I get it a little bit easier? I mean, we're, we, we go to the same church. You know, we, we, you know, don't I get it a little bit easier from you? Don't despise those masters, but rather serve them, and rather work harder for them. You need to be slaves that are dedicated and trusted to the work that has been given to you. That... You are really serving the Lord in doing so. You're really bringing honor to God and you're actually serving a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Paul was instructing these slaves because they were obligated to their masters. They were under their authority. They were under submission to them. How many of you like those words? Submission. People having authority over you. 
in the workplace. I mean, our flesh, don't you agree, our flesh kind of bucks up against that? We don't like it. We don't like those kinds of restraints. And you know, the only thing that really helps us in those situations is because we know the Lord. You don't know the Lord, I love you. I'm done with this job, you know. Walk out on it and done with it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do it. And they can't keep a job. They can't, you know. It's, a, it's an issue of submission. Not liking authority. You see, Christians should be the best workers. We, we should be the ones that, when you come to church, everyone knows, man, when so-and-so says you're going to get the job done, he gets it done. And he gets it done well. We should be the ones that people respect. We should be the ones that are working, not, not lazy. You know, always taking a longer break. And, you know, that Christian, man, man, I don't know what kind of Christian they are, you know. How many of you have heard of the pastor by the name of Warren Worsby? Raise your hand. Quite a few of you. Uh, if you didn't already know, Warren Worsby went home to be with the Lord this last Thursday. And I was reading something of his uh, in relationship to the text we're in, and Warren Worsby wrote this. It, re it relates to the story of a young lady who had left a secular job to work for a Christian organization. She had been there about a month and was really disillusioned. I thought it was going to be heaven on earth when I came to this Christian organization to work at. She complained. Instead, there are nothing but problems in this place. Worsby asked her if she was working just as hard for her new boss as she did in the secular job. The look on her face said, no. So Worsby told her, try working harder. And show your boss real respect. Just because all of you in the office are saved doesn't mean you can do less than your best. She took his advice and the problems cleared up. You see, it's all a matter of our heart attitude. It's what goes on in our head when we roll into work. And, you know, we're thinking, you know what? Hey, people are people. We should, whether we're working for a Christian organization or a secular, we do our best. Look at verse 3. Paul warns now against those teachers who would teach otherwise. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise, what he has just told Timothy to teach and to exhort even these other leaders. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, that word wholesome words there means healthy teaching. If they do not consent to healthy teaching, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. Those three things, wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which accords with godliness, they're really saying the same thing in a different way. He goes on to say, the person that doesn't teach this way, that is not seeking to have healthy teaching or teach people in a healthy way, is proud. He knows nothing. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Knowing nothing. 
but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose, listen to this, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And then look what he says, and if your Bible does not have these words, it is in most of your translations, from such withdraw yourself, is what Paul says at the end of that. From such withdraw yourself from them. That sounds pretty straightforward. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.5, speaking about the integrity of him and Silas as they came into this city and this church was planted, he wrote back this letter and he says, for neither at any time did we use flattering words when we came into your city, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. We weren't coveting things. God is our witness and that's what's important. You see, God needs to be the witness of what that teacher is saying, how he's saying it, what he's in it for, why he's doing it. Is he doing it for himself, for his own gain, or is he doing it for healthy teaching for the people that he's ministering to? God is our witness. It's amazing to me how many professing Christians, teachers, they say they believe in the Bible, but they don't teach it accurately. They don't teach the whole counsel of God's Word. They don't teach the Bible, really. They might pull little bits out, but they're not really teaching the Word of God. And they're not even practicing that. How many people stand behind a pulpit like this and teach, and then they don't go out and do what they teach? Are they teaching themselves when they teach the people? And even worse, there are some of these teachers and even Christians that go out and and speak to people about what they believe. They tell them things that are not even found in the Bible. They're teaching things that you wouldn't even be able to find it in the Word of God. You have Christians that go out and have conversations And they're saying things that you don't even find in the Bible. That's not good, by the way. Paul says that these teachers who do not teach with wholesome words, that if they don't teach sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and and really a doctrine that will lead to what? It's a word that we're going to see a number of times in this text. A doctrine or a teaching or healthy teaching that leads to godly living. It leads to godliness. You see, if somebody just gets up and teaches doctrine and nothing happens out of it in our lives, there's no change going on in us through the Word of God. And we have, what's going on? Healthy teaching, good doctrine, leads to godliness. It leads to godly living. You see, these teachers quite often, by the very words that they speak, they deny truth. They ignore truth, sometimes for specific reasons. They explain it away. 
They twist the Word of God. I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to take away. I don't want to twist it. I mean, what a dangerous place for somebody that claims to be a teacher of the Word of God that they would do that. They, there are some that claim to have deep insights. Stay away from the ones that claim to have some new thing. Deeper insights. You know, oh yeah, you know, this church, man, we get into some, you know. Be careful that those that you're listening to, they're actually, if you're able to observe, and a lot of times we're not able to observe because you're listening to them on radio and you're watching them on TV or you're, doing, you're not able to observe their life. We need to be careful, Christians, on, on who we're listening to and watching. He, go, he says that they're obsessed with disputes and arguments. You know, they, like, they love getting in and they love debating the Bible. They love from the pulpit to hammer home their particular doctrines. And, and really all it does is stirs up disputes with other Christians. They're more concerned really about winning an argument than they are about the truth itself. And they, and they get up there and, they, and they, they just advocate their doctrine. They push it down and they just, you know. And you can always kind of get that feeling. Any good pastor, any good teacher should be concerned the most with what he's teaching the people and the effect that it will have, the good effect that it will have on their life. Not just because I'm wanting to get up here and hammer home a bunch of doctrine to you. That's not really my ultimate goal. But that the Word of God, that you would know Christ through His Word, and that Word would change your life. That's the goal. Paul says these teachers are proud. And they know nothing. They think they do. But they really know nothing. They misuse God's word and it really it leads to disputes, arguments. They're obsessed. There's a word. They're really, they're, their minds are sick. That's what the word means. They're obsessed with their things that they put out to people. They, they just get caught up themselves in that. And out of that comes envy. In other words, and that word envy is, is like this discontentment. Not a good thing to be a teacher of the Word of God and have a lot of discontentment inside. Strife, reveling, and evil suspicions, which are just useless wranglings of men with corrupt minds. I, I don't want to listen to that kind of teacher, to be honest with you. They're destitute of the truth. And that's often because the real motive, the real reason why they stand and teach and do what they do, is because they're in it for what will benefit them. What gain they can get from doing what they do. That's a scary place to be. The problem is that there are many 
like that today. Many that are out there that are in it for their own gain. We need to be careful. You don't always see their life outside of the church, outside of the pulpit. Be careful who you listen to, who you watch. Paul says and exhorts us from such teachers, withdraw yourself. Don't listen to it. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then withdraw yourself from it. Paul wrote in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among yourselves, even from within yourself. Men will rise up speaking perverse things, and it tells us why, to draw away the disciples after themselves. You see, there are a lot of men that want to draw their own disciples after themselves. There's people that'll do that even within the church. These teachers, they love the argument more than they love the truth. I think that there are, in the day of social media, in the days that we're living in where we have, you know, TV, you know, we just have access to all of this stuff. You can watch teacher anywhere in the world. You can bring up, you know, and, and you know, you see all, and, and this is, again, I'm not calling out a particular person right now, but I'm speaking in a general sense as a pastor to pastors that there are ones that get up and they make a big show. It's all how you dress. It's all how you appear. It's all how you have the stage set up. It's all how you do, you know. You think, man, you're being judgmental. No, let, let them stand before the Lord. Let them stand before God. God judges those things. We have to be careful that we don't get drawn away by the, those external things. We need to make sure that when we pick up one of the best-selling Christian books off the bookshelf, that we don't pull it off the bookshelf and start reading, what's in the top 10 bestsellers, got to be accurate. No, not necessarily. We need to be careful what we read, what we watch, who we listen to as Christians, and especially those that are not really well-grounded in the Word of God. You see, I can teach you each week, and I do. I come in here and teach the Word of God. I can exhort you. I can warn you about the various teachers, the false doctrines that are out there, the various things that you need to be aware of to watch for. And I can say all of those things, but when it comes down to it, you're the one that's responsible for it. I have a responsibility to teach and to warn and to, to, to do what God's called me to do, but ultimately you have the responsibility and the accountability before God with who you subject yourself to and to their teaching. Because a lot of times it sounds real good, but if you're not real versed in the Bible and you're not making attempts to know your word and know it well yourself, it's very easy 
to get caught up into a particular teacher, they're teaching a certain thing that is not even biblical. And you stand accountable before the Lord with that. And it will have a direct effect on your walk with Christ. If a man or a woman, and I'll add women into this, if a man or a woman is teaching, their teaching doesn't line up with good doctrine and sound doctrine, you should reject it. Just reject it. No, I don't see that in the Bible. And we should reject. Paul goes on in verse 6, and he says that godliness and contentment should be the desire of every teacher of God's Word. Look what he says. Now, or some Bibles might have the word but, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. That's a good verse for Christians, especially Christians in America. Godliness with contentment. Paul starts out verse 6 with the word now or the word but. Whenever you see the word but in Scripture, by the way, there's actually 4,317 buts in the New King James Bible. Whenever you see the word but in Scripture, what it should do to you is you should stop for a moment and consider that Paul is going to contrast something with what he has just said. Or it should slow you down to consider or to ponder what Paul is about to say, or the writer, whatever the writer is about to say. So even the word but is important in Scripture. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Stop and think about that. It's opposite of what we were just reading about, those teachers that were coming in for their own gain for their own purposes. Godliness with contentment should be the goal of every teacher of God's Word, and it should really be the goal of every Christian. To be godly and to have contentment. Now, I've had the opportunity to go to Nigeria to visit our pastor friend and his wife, Kephas, and his wife, Tina. I've been to this country that has a lot of teaching that we would call health and wealth teaching. As a matter of fact, I was told that how a particular pastor knows that he has reached the pinnacle of success as an evangelist teacher is when he becomes world-renowned and he now owns his own jet. Wow, you made it. You get that Learjet, you've just reached the top. And there are people, the sad part is there are people in there that welcome that. They're actually happy over the fact that their pastor has a, a jet that he can jet around the world because you know what? He's well known, he's renowned. And they chalk it off. And it's really to their own gain. 
When Christians follow this kind of shallow teaching, and there's a lot of shallow teaching that we can find out there today, it has a direct effect on your walk, your walk with Christ. Sound teaching, remember this, sound teaching, healthy teaching, will always lead to godly living in your life. If I get up here every week and I teach you week after week, from the Word of God, if your life is changing in a way towards godliness, then something is being accomplished. Something good is coming out of that teaching. If it doesn't do that for you, then I would question the teaching. You see, accurate, good teaching will produce that. It'll also produce a contentment inside. Godliness which is found nine times in 1 Timothy here, it speaks of reverence. It speaks of respect. It speaks of your, your piety towards God, your respect towards God, your reverence towards Him. It literally means this, well-worship, well-worship. It's reverence and awe towards God. It really speaks of true religion or what true worship is. Godliness. Good, healthy teaching leads to godliness. Well, worship. And so godliness in our lives, it actually reflects a genuine worship before God. Remember in Acts 3.12, when Peter and John were on their way to temple... They saw the lame man at the gate. They healed the lame man. And then all the people started hearing what this miracle that had happened. They all came running to, to Peter and John. And they wanted to worship him. And Peter noticed that. He saw that. And he says, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Got real nervous about this. You know, somebody looking to him, wanting to worry. Got real nervous about it. And he says, you know, he says to the people, he says... Uh, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? You see how quick he was to turn the eyes away from them and turn it to, to the Lord? By our own power or godliness. The things you see in our, in, in our lives, that godliness, that godly character, that man or woman, that, that it, it just it, it stands out. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 2, we exhort you to pray for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. He says, pray so that we can live these. God, I pray for those people that are in authority above you, those governments and those people. Be people of prayer so that we could live quiet lives, that we can be a witness for Christ, a peaceful life, in all godliness and reverence. Paul warned these teachers and he warns every Christian about teaching that does not lead to godliness, but to the flesh. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said this to Timothy, 
But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. That's an ugly list, isn't it? And it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. They have a form. They look. They have the look. They say the right words. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And then he says it again like Paul does to Timothy. He says, and from such people turn away. Turn away. Godliness, Paul says, with contentment is great gain. You see, true gain for you and I as Christians comes from godliness. If your life is changing, you're gaining a lot. If there's something going on in you, your your gain is growing. You see, it's not material wealth, is it? It's not health and wealth. If you'll do this, God will bless you, brother or sister. You know, you do this, man, God will pour out His his blood. Man, you'll be just living like kings and... You know, in material wealth or godliness. Which one, which one is the real gain? For a lot of people, this is the gain. Material wealth. You know, I, mean, I like that. I like that gospel. It, it fits. It, you know. Godliness? Mm-hmm. Okay. Godliness. You're asking me to do something. I want this. Godliness with contentment. They go hand in hand. Godliness with contentment comes from a changed heart within you. A changed heart and a changed mind. That's where it comes from. It's not the way you always thought. It's not the way you always were thinking. And then you came to Christ. He changed your heart and your mind. And now you're seeking after godliness and contentment. It's a work of God. Paul learned this in Philippians 4.11. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned, he says it twice, I have learned both to be full and also to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, we know that verse a lot of times, verse 13, but the rest of it before that, he's talking about that contentment and the things that he had to learn about contentment. It's been said that real contentment isn't too difficult for those whose real home is heaven. Whose real home is in heaven. Contentment's not an issue. It requires but little of this world's goods to satisfy a man who feels himself to be a citizen of another country. 
and knows that this is not his rest. This isn't it. You know, contentment comes when we are pilgrims passing through this life. We know where we're, we're heaven bound. We have something far greater than this. And then all of the other material things of this life that seem to grip our lives at times, they seem to get smaller and smaller. When I moved my family to Wells and started having the garage sales out of my driveway, getting rid of stuff after 30 some years of trying to think, I'm looking at my wife going, is that the right years? Uh, A long time, being married for a long time, you acquire a lot of stuff. And it felt really good to get rid of stuff. And then we came back from well six years later and, you know, the stuff starts growing again. But try it sometime. It's a freeing feeling when you clean things out and you just get rid of stuff. Things that we hold such value to. We're just pilgrims passing through this life. It should be our mindset as Christians. In other words, just keep things simple. It's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Keeping it simple really makes life a lot simpler. Just keep things simple. Don't acquire. The more you acquire, the more you have, the more it gets difficult. The more you've got to take care of. You see, don't judge your worth as a Christian by your stuff. Judge your worth by what? Do you think I'm going to say? By your godliness. Judge your worth by your godliness. Not by the things you possess, by your stuff. Being rich is not so much the problem, though. People can have money. That in itself is not the problem. It's the desire to be rich. It's, it's what gets you out of bed every day. It's your desire in life. It's to be successful and to be rich. To have more than what I have now. It's that driving force. And in a sense, it becomes your God. And that God is with a little g, by the way. It becomes your God. Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see that verse 9? But he who desires to be rich, do you see that? They fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil Money in itself is just a tool to be used to buy and sell. That's not the problem. It's that the root of all kinds of evil comes out of people's lust for money and trying to do things with money and to gain money. That's the problem. He warns which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Is he talking to Christians there? Some have strayed from the faith? in their greediness, and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's a warning for all of us that 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 would not be the driving thing in our life. 
It's not my purpose in life. Is it wrong to have material things? No. Don't, don't, get, it, don't get it all lopsided and go, well, God, you know, you, you, you shouldn't have that. You, should be, you, know, you shouldn't live in that. You shouldn't drive that. You, don't be concerned with those things if they don't grip your heart. If you're not clinging to them, if they're not driving you. Psalm 62.10 says, If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. If they do. I mean, you say, I wish it would. You know? But if they do, don't set your heart about, upon them. Maybe God's just giving me more so I can do more with it for His kingdom. And he has a different purpose in giving me more. It's not just so that I have more. I'm going to bless you, brother or sister. You know, I'm going to give you, you know, and that, you know, just so you can spend more and have more. That's not God's purpose in doing that. But let me ask you, and I'm going to close with this, and we'll close with communion. But let me ask you this question. It's a big question. Is Jesus enough in your life? Is he enough? Or are there other things that you're striving for in life? Is Jesus enough? And if, if God were to allow you to be stripped down to just food and clothing, would you be content? Wow, lost a house. Had turned a car in two. You know? Well, honey, we got a you know got closets full of clothes. Load them up. Praise the Lord. God has plans. You know, is Jesus enough? And if you were stripped down to food and clothing, the necessities of life, would you be content? Paul learned how to be content. It wasn't something he automatically just took on board. I learned to be content. It's a good reminder for all of us to go about our day and just say, God, how can I glorify you in my life? Help me not to be consumed. Help me to, and, and be careful about who you're listening, watching, and taking in. Read your Bible. Know your word. Know how to discern the counterfeits that are out there. It's important.